Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you all so much for being here today, especially our guests who are with us, whether you're here in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. Just want to appreciate uh, your time with us today. It's good to be out of our houses with all the snow this week. That's a lot of fun. And just come and and be together as we're uh, continuing to dive into this study, the story. Uh, as Kevin said, we've read chapter two for today, and so we're super excited. And uh, there's a, you know, three things we're asking to do through this, this series. It's going to go for most of the years we read through the Bible together. And the first is that we just read the story, and that's really one chapter a week. And so for next week, we'll be reading chapter three ahead of coming in here and just invite you to, to pray about that and read that and just let that kind of settle it in your mind and your spirit. And second thing is to come and hear the messages. If you can, at all possible to come and, and hear them in person, or if not, to watch online or download it to a podcast. Uh, And then the third thing would be to discuss that with somebody, to get together in some kind of group to do that. We have official small groups that Kevin mentioned uh, that are doing this. Uh, We're also doing this with our children and our students, and so we can discuss this as families around the dinner table at home uh, with our parents, grandparents, whatever. Or maybe you just want to grab somebody that you sit next to every Sunday and say, hey, let's go grab some coffee and talk about our reading this week and what we heard today. And, you know, I really love this or this part really makes me angry, or I don't understand this. Uh, I think it's important for us to commit on an individual level, but also on a communal level. And the more things that we do, I think the more things that we're going to get out of it and discover just how our stories are indeed part of God's story. So I'm super excited that you're here today. Uh, So let's dive in, and let's just first begin with a word of silent prayer that I would deliver God's word today, uh, that we would all hear that and allow our stories to truly be a part of God's story. Let's pray about that together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you've been following the news uh, in the past day or so, you'll know that uh, our government here in the United States has shut down and um, there's been a lot of back and forth blaming between the Democrats and the Republicans about why this is, and, and yet the government is shut down. And, you know, I've been, you know, trying to research, how does that affect me? I'm not sure quite how it affects, you know, the world or whatever, but, you know, what does that mean the government shuts down? And, you know, evidently I'll get my mail, but I, I couldn't get a passport or couldn't travel to a national park. You know, we're uh, going to ask the military to protect us. We're just not going to pay them to do that. And so, you know, it's, you know, kind of a stressful time trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, I don't know. I'm sure they're going to figure it out at some point and they'll, and they'll get us moving forward. Uh, but, you know, think about it. You know, we still live in the greatest country in the world. Uh, it's awesome to be here. But I think some of us are frustrated on both sides of the aisles here. And, you know, so... So how do we get forward and move forward with that? And, you know, you know, hypothetically, what if we could, you know, reboot the government? If we could reboot America and start over, you know, what would that look like? And how would it be the same? And how would we change things, you know? And, and who do we choose to start? Like, if we could reboot the government, you know, would that be Mr. and Mrs. Trump? Would it be Mr. and Mrs. Obama? Would it be, you know, some kind of celebrity couple like, you know, or family like the Kardashians? Would we let them be the, the founders of the, of the country? Or, you know, maybe the Duggar family? I think you'd have to have a fertile family to, to start a nation, you know. Uh, who, who would we elect to, to start out uh, our nation? And, uh, you know, maybe somebody like George and Martha Washington. Evidently, it seemed to work the first time. So, you know, who would you choose to reboot our country or to start our country from scratch? And so... 
we probably wouldn't choose an old married couple uh, with the, the husband being 75 years old and the wife being 65 years old and who are not able to conceive children on their own. Probably not the best pick to start out a nation or to reboot a nation, uh, but that's exactly what we're going to see in Scripture today that God did. So last week we talked about uh, Adam and Eve in the beginning of humanity and Noah and the ark and all that sort of thing. And we, we found out that, you know, the early humans did some really great things and, and they did them well. We also found out that they messed up some things and kind of put a wedge between us and God. And so uh, God is now launching a plan in Scripture uh, to get humanity back. And so we're going to be studying for the rest of the year the Bible and God's plan about how God wants to reconcile the world to God that the early humans kind of messed up and that we continue to to mess up on our own even though we're able to do some great things because we're created in God's image. And so today we're going to be studying uh, the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. Uh, And we're going to be somewhere around the 2,000 year before Jesus kind of time frame. And we're going to meet a man named Abram, who's 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, is 65 years old. Uh, and they're going to be very important people because this next step in God's plan is God's going to build a holy nation. And that nation is going to be uh, a blessing to the entire world. And it's going to show the entire world how that we can be restored into a right relationship with God. So God's got to get this nation just right. It's going to be the nation of Israel. And so God has to get the right DNA to start this nation. Uh, And so that's kind of where we are. And so God chooses this man, Abram, and this woman, Sarai. Uh, Probably not our first choice, but let's see exactly why it is that God chose them. So if you've got your Bibles, want to look on your tablets or your phones or just on the screen here, uh, we're going to dive into uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, as God makes a call to Abram and Sarai. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country. He lived somewhere in the uh, the modern day nation of Iraq. That's where he lived a couple thousand years before Jesus was born. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. So God makes a covenant with Abram and Sarai and says, I need you to leave your homeland, right? I know you're at retirement age. I know you've put in a lot of hard work. And this is, this is your nation. This is all that you know. Your friends are here. Your family's here. Your favorite restaurants are here. You worship here, right? Uh, your, your house is here. I want you to leave this, leave everything, and go to this new place, this new land that I'm going to give to you. And I know you don't have children yet, but you're going to have children in your old age. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you into a great nation. And your descendants will number more than the stars that you can see in the sky. And, and through you and this nation, I'm going to bless the entire world. Now, it doesn't say what was going through Abram's mind or Sarai's mind in the Bible. You know, wow, how can we leave our our family? How can we leave our friends? How can we leave the life that we know and go to a new place? And are are you crazy starting children and having a family? We can't do that already. And and we're kind of old for that. You know, none of that. We don't see any of that. All it says in the next verse, in verse 4, it says, Abram and Sarai went. 
They went. They, they, they're in. They're like, okay, this covenant sounds good to me. And, and they just display this incredible amount of faith. And so from our lower story perspective, like our humanly kind of story, it, it just doesn't make sense. You've given up everything. You're too old to have kids. You've never been able to have kids in 75 and 65 years. And why in the world would God choose these people? But we're going to see that God has a plan and that their lower stories are going to be a part of God's bigger story that does indeed bless all of the world. And so we got to just trust God and, and, and see what happens. So Abram, Sarai move over to the land that's going to become the land of Israel. And they lived there for 10 years. All right, so now they're 85. He's 85. She's 75. Uh, you know, no children. It's just not working out. And so, you know, they're, they're beginning to wonder, well, you know, did we get this wrong from God? What's, what's going on? You know, we've tried to have kids for 10 more years. It just, it hasn't happened. And so, you know, maybe God's calling us to, to, to get involved in some different ways to be a part of this process. And so uh, Sarah says to Abram, you know, maybe what you need to do is, is take our servant Hagar and, and, and have a child with her. And, and maybe that's the way that, that we're going to have this, this heir. And it's just, it's not working between us, Abram. So, you know, maybe give it a shot. So that's what Abram does. He has a child with Hagar. Uh, they name him Ishmael. And, uh, and uh, you know, shortly after he's born, uh, Sarai begins to have some, some second thoughts. And, and she sees that someone other than her gave uh, her husband a son. And that makes her very jealous and very angry. And so she makes Abram cast out uh, Hagar and Ishmael out into the, into the wilderness. And so they're out there and they're near death. And God sends like this angel to, to protect them and to show them a, a, a different way and say, you know, this is not the heir that God had intended, but God is going to bless your son and he's going to be a ruler of many people. And so God takes care of Hagar and Ishmael. And, and in the meantime, God's dealing with Abram and Sarah and saying, you know what? Guys, this wasn't part of the plan. This wasn't part of the deal. I'm going to give the two of you your own child. So you got to trust me. You got to keep working the plan. And, and this was not the right way to do that. You know, and we think about Abram and Sarah and Hagar and, you know, can we really fault them? You know, maybe they, they were just trying to do what they thought would advance the situation. They tried for 10 years on their own. It wasn't working. You know, can we really get upset at them? Can we really get angry at them? You know, you think about it. Just think one day if you woke up and, and thought, well, you know, I think it's time for me to settle down. I, I really want to get married and start a family and have children. Um, you know, how would we go about doing that? Well, we just, you know, say, God, you know, have a prayer. I'm, I'm ready to get married. I'm ready for Mr. Right or Miss Right. And so, you know, Lord, I just, I'm going to sit here on my couch and I'm going to eat some chips. I'm going to flip the channels, you know, catch up on some Netflix. And, you know, you just send them right over. Let them come over, ring the doorbell, and I'll be ready right? That would be foolish, right? I, I mean, God could do that, but I don't really think that that's the way God operates. If we're ready to get married, start a family, then we need to get off the couch, probably lose a little weight, you know, get ourselves all spruced up and go out. And, and we need to make an effort. We need to go spend time with people that we are attracted to or want to spend time with and, you know, go meet some people, get set up with some people, go online dating, go to church, meet some people, right? We have to take an active role, Right? We trust God with prayer, but we also have to get actively involved. Same thing's true if we want to go to college. So, so God, I, I think I'm ready to go to college. And so, you know, I'd love to go to an Ivy League school or just, you know, Division I school, whatever. And you know what? I think I'm just going to skip the rest of high school. I'm going to sit on my couch, going to eat my chips, watch Netflix. And God, just let the acceptance letter start flowing in and I'll take my, I'll take my pick of those and, and I'll go to college. Right? That's not the way that it works. 
Right? We want to go to college, we, we pray about it. We ask God for his wisdom and, and leaning and discernment, but we got to finish high school and we got to take our SATs or GREs and we, we've got to go visit schools and apply and, and visit and see which ones are the right fit and you know which one's going to have the program that I need to, to do what God's called me to do with my life. And so we can't just sit and pray and wait on God to deliver that. We've got to be an active participant. So a lot of times in our lives, it's, it's twofold. We pray and we trust. God. We do everything in our power to to work towards what it is that we're working towards, and then we surrender to God, but there's actions on our part, and there's actions on God's part. And so, you know, can we really get mad at Abram and Sarai? You know, I think we can understand it, right? We've waited 10 years, right? We're not getting any younger, and so, you know, know, let's try what we need to try, but there was one exception with them. God was explicitly clear to say, you two are the ones that are going to have the child. And so, so the patriarch, the matriarch, they have extreme faith, but they're also human. They're like you and me. And, and sometimes we get our wires crossed. And sometimes we try to help God when God doesn't need our help. And so, you know, it's a challenging thing to try and think about when do we pray and when do we act. And, you know, but, and so keep, keep doing that. Keep doing both. But I think in this case, God gave them real certainty. You two are going to be the ones to have the child. And so they're back in the faith and 14 years pass by. Right, so they're still trying to have kids. They're putting Barry White on the stereo. Right, they're trying to get it all figured out. Right, so now, you know, he's ninety nine and she's eighty nine, and there's no child. There's no heir, and so God comes back, and He restates the covenant that He's going to make them a great nation. They're going to have family. They're going to have you know descendants more than the stars are numbered, and the whole deal. Right, and and each one of them, Abram and Sarah, each separately in separate situations, they just laugh. They're like. <laughs> Yeah, right, God. We're too old for this stuff, you know. He probably said some other word, but you know, we're just we're too old for this. This, this, just, you know, it'd be great, but they they just you know they kind of laugh it off, right? But uh, God said, no, seriously, it's going to happen. And so here, I want you to know, I'm going to change Abraham. I'm going to change Abram. I'm going to change your name. Change your name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means father of a multitude. You're going to be a father of a nation. Sarah, I'm going to change your name to Sarah, right? One of the translations is queen, right? You're going to be, you're going to be the mother of a nation. So I'm going to change your name, which was a significant thing because I'm changing your identity. You are going to be the parents of a nation and, and your name is going to reflect that. And soon after that, she became pregnant. And when Abram, Abraham now was 100 and Sarah was 90 years old, uh, they had their child. And she gave birth to a son and they named him Isaac. You know why they named him Isaac? Isaac means laughter. Remember, Abram uh, and Sarai laughed when God said, you're going to have a child. And, and they had the child. So they fittingly are reminded, trust God, have faith. God keeps his promises. God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he's going to do. And so they had this child, and it's just this wonderful celebration. And so, you know, the next level, that next generation of creating this nation of God to bless all of the world, it it goes on. Right, And so on the sidebar here, this is very interesting, I think anyway. So uh, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, trace their lineage back to Abraham uh, through Isaac. And so uh, Jews and Christians uh, from around the world, we trace our spiritual lineage back to Abraham through Isaac. Uh, but the people who live in Israel, like the Palestinians and some, some of the Arab peoples and, and even some of the Muslims, trace their lineage back to Abraham through Ishmael. 
And so uh, two different groups of people tracing their uh, ethnic uh, uh, heritage back to the same person, different political things go back, different religions trace all the way back to the same person through two different guys. One was Isaac, one was Ishmael. If you want to know why the Middle East can be such a mess and, and can be so traumatic and all that kind of stuff, it's a long-term family feud because we go all the way back to the same ancestor, two different sons, and it just continues to go down. And so we, we all lay claim to this, this, this father Abraham in the land of Israel, and it just goes way back. So just you know, interesting part of history and how we, how we find ourselves. But we need to move on to other things today. So we fast forward the story about 15 years. Uh, and so now Isaac uh, is 15 years old. He just got his permit to ride a camel. He's super excited about that. Uh, Abraham is now 115 years old, 115 years old, a prime year to have a teenage son. Uh, absolutely. The best time in the world to have a teenage son. Hey, Dad, let's go ride the camels. I don't know that I can get on the camel. You know, and, and by the way, don't you think the Social Security people are freaking out? Like, well, they've gone bankrupt with Abraham, right? He's 115 years old. And so uh, it's just, when's it going to end? But anyway, so 15-year-old son, 115-year-old father. Uh, and now the God that they trust and love and have been faithful to and is taking care of them is going to come to Abraham and say the most absolutely frightening, most terrifying thing that a father would ever want to hear. And so from our lower story perspective, this is going to be hard to swallow. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you want to jump back in, we're going to continue uh, in the book of Genesis. And this time we're going to be in Genesis 22. Verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Take your son, your only son that you waited 100 years for, your wife waited 90 years for, you left your hometown, your home country to come here to start a nation, right? The, the son that you've loved for 15 years is, is the most important thing to you in your life other than me, God, right? Then I want you to take him and I want you to put him on a stack of wood. I want you to stab him with a knife and light him on fire. But that's what I want you to do. What? You want me to do what, right? I waited 100 years. My wife waited 90 years. This is, this is who we love the most. This is our son. He's the future of the nation. He's the future of the world, right? What are you kidding me, God? We left all of our belongings, possessions, and family, and we come through all these, all these years, and we come to this, and now you're going to rip our hearts out and have me do this? Are you crazy? That's not what Abraham said, but that's what I would probably say as a father. Are you kidding me? What in the world? Like, what is this? Am, 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 I, am, I, you know, am I experiencing dementia? You know, what's going on, right? How in the world can you expect me to do this? But we don't know what Abraham thinks, but we know what he does. And he takes Isaac, he takes a couple of servant boys, and they ride out to the area of Moriah, and uh, they stop just short of this mountain that he's supposed to go do this on. And and he leaves the two boys there, the servant boys, and he says, look, guys, I'm taking Isaac off. We're going to go over here. We'll be back, right? And so, so my question is, is, is he lying to the boys, you know, to say, hey, I'm going to go kill Isaac. You know, you guys wait here. I'll be back, right? If he did that, they probably might have would have stopped him. Or does he really believe it that, you know what? I'm not sure about this. I trust God. I don't really believe he's going to make me offer up my son. Or if he does, he's going to resurrect him. We don't know what's going on in his mind, but he says, stay here. We're both coming back. 
Right? And so then Isaac is looking around and, and he's got the wood on his, on his back, right? Just imagine the emotion and the drama and that, that your son uh, and you're, that you're supposed to kill is now carrying the instrument of his own death on his back. Isaac's looking around. He's like, hey, dad, you know, we got the wood. You've got the knife. You know, where's the animal that we're going to sacrifice? This is a great question. And, and Abraham says, don't worry about it, son. God's going to provide that. And again, is, is Abraham a man of faith? Does he think, you know, God's going to you know, provide an animal, he's going to stop me, or you know, he's going to bring Isaac back to life? Or, or is he just lying because he's like, well, son, I'm going to go kill you, you know? And so that, you know, he doesn't want his son to run off and, and, and blow the whole thing. So we're not sure what's going on. Hopefully you're right. He's a man of faith. And so they go up the mountain, right, to put the wood down. He ties up his son. He puts him on the wood, right? Uh, and he stands above him with the knife. Like, like in my mind, I'm just thinking, what in the world is going through the man's mind? Right? What's going through Isaac's mind, right? The, his father who loves him, who's been so good to him, who's probably told him a million times about the story about leaving his homeland and coming and trying to have children. And, you know, Isaac's finally the answer to the prayer, right? A hundred years. It took a hundred years to get to Isaac. And this is my dad who loves me and we play together and, he, you know, he takes care of me. And, and, and now he's got his knife. Or, you, know, you know, maybe dad's freaking out. There's some kind of disease, you know, something's going on. Like, daddy, what are you doing? Are you really going to do that? And, and then what's going on in, in Abraham's mind? Like, how can I do this? Who's this God who's calling me to do this? This is just sick. This is not right. And this, what is going on here? But he takes the knife and he's ready to kill his son. I just, I have a hard time. It's hard to identify with what's going on in, in his mind and his heart. But you know, the scripture says he was a man of faith. And so he is trusting in God. And just at that moment where he's ready to do it, God sends an angel and says, stop. Stop, Abraham take Isaac off, right? They look over, there's a ram. He's like, sacrifice this ram, right? You've passed this test. And like from a lower story view of that, we're relieved for Abraham and we're relieved for Isaac, but, but there's this skepticism about what kind of God would ask somebody to do that, right? And, 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 How's Isaac going to think about his dad for the rest of his life? He was that close to killing me. Can I ever trust my dad, my, my dad again? You know, it's all these human emotions that, that, that we're struggling with, you know, and from the, the lower story, it just, it, it's, it's hard to take, you know, and sometimes from our lower story, we don't always understand God. Like in, in the Old Testament, right, when we looked last week and God said, you can eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden, but don't eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He says to Noah, I want you to build an ark in the middle of the land where there's no water. I want you to put animals on it, right? I want you to trust me, right? He, he asked us, you know, in, in, in our world today, right, help people uh, who don't help themselves, right? God asked us to do things that don't make sense. And now he's asked his, his, this guy, his servant Abraham, to offer up his son. Right? And I think it's a one-time, very unique case because it's going to foreshadow something that's going to happen 2,000 years from when this is all happening. Right? What's going to happen on that same, that same mountain, that same Moriah, is that God's going to allow His Son Jesus to be sacrificed. And it's going to be hard for God. And God's going to hurt for this. And, and He's going to allow Jesus to be sacrificed on that mountain, nailed to a cross, so that you and I can be restored in a right relationship with God so that our guilt and shame can be replaced with joy and peace, so we can live life to the full now and live forever in the kingdom of heaven, right? It's part of God's plan. So God says, I don't want you to sacrifice your children. I'm going to allow my own son to be killed so that you can have a way back to me. And so it ties this whole story in because our God is not a God who kills children. 
and, and he wasn't going to have Isaac die. And, and, and if you're hearing voices from God that God's saying to hurt a child, that's not what God is doing. It's, it's this one-off thing, and it's foreshadowing that God was willing to sacrifice his son so that you and I can be restored in a right relationship with Jesus. And the story of Abraham and Isaac foreshadows that. And we're grateful that our God is a God who doesn't require us to sacrifice our children like so many other pagan religions of that time did. And so God said, I'm going to make the sacrifice so that you don't have to do that. Powerful stuff, how our lower stories become part of God's upper story. So then Isaac grows up. He gets married to a woman named Rebekah. And it's up to them then to have children uh, to continue the nation of Israel, the building of that nation. Uh, They wait 20 years. Why not? We're in no rush at this point. And so uh, they wait 20 years and they have two boys. And uh, they're twins. They come out of the womb uh, almost immediately having this sibling rivalry, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau's the oldest. Jacob's the youngest. Uh, Esau should be the next one in line to continue this tradition of becoming uh, a nation. Uh, and uh, Isaac and Rebecca do something they shouldn't do as parents. They totally pick favorites. And so uh, Isaac picks uh, Esau as his favorite, and Rebecca picks uh, Jacob as her favorite. And it sets up this, this, this powerful, terrible kind of family dynamic. And so the younger son uh, steals his older brother's inheritance and his blessing, and his mom helps him fool his dad Isaac to do that. It makes Esau so mad that he threatens to kill his brother Jacob, and Jacob flees, and he's gone for 20 years. And we're thinking, right, these are the people that God picked to be the, the nation of Israel. Yes, they have faith, and yes, they do these great things, but they're awful parents, and they're not good brothers, and, and, and yet this is who God chose. But of course, God is bigger than who we are and what we know. And so Jacob and Esau reconcile. Uh, Jacob now is, is the senior brother because he has the inheritance, he has the blessing, and he has 12 sons. And those 12 sons become the lead of the 12 tribes of Israel that will become the nation of Israel. And so God's promise to Abraham, which was transferred to Isaac, which was transferred to Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, has been fulfilled. God is building the nation that will be the light to the world from which Jesus will come. It's God's way, his next step of leading us back into relationship with God. And we see that the people that God chose to use are are real people. They have moments of brilliant faith. They, they leave their homeland and they go somewhere that they've never been before. They, they have children at the age of 190 and, and they also have doubts and, and they laugh when God says amazing things to them and, and they're not all good parents and they're not all great in the, in the decisions that they make and so it's a mixed lot. There's really good stuff and there's really not so good stuff in that. You know, but what, what I walk away with is this and this is what I would invite you to maybe think about in your own life and as we walk away, with what's the point of all this. I think one of the key points in this, and this is kind of the big idea if you want to write this down or take this home today, is this, is that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God uses Abraham and Sarah uh, and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, all these, these people that have great qualities and great faith, but also they make big mistakes. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary, to begin to build a nation that from which Jesus is going to come and God's going to save the world. So God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Now, here's the cool part. It's not just limited 
limited to people who lived 4,000 years ago, right? 2,000 years before Jesus was born. I think that God still uses everyday people like you and me, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. And so we can be extraordinary with God. Be extraordinary with God. And so I want to send us out today with an application uh, of this big idea that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary, that we can be extraordinary with God. I would invite you to begin to think and pray and ask God to help us recognize where our lower stories intersect with God's upper story to figure out where our lower stories intersect with God's upper story because it's not just Abraham and Isaac and all those folks, it's us today. God is still alive. God's still with us. God has plans for our lives. God is at work in all of our lives. And so my prayer for the rest of this year and the rest of the study of the story is we, as we read how God interacts in other people's lives that we begin to recognize God at work in our lives. And some of those moments are going to be big, like Billy Graham moments. And some of those moments are going to be everyday small moments in our lives that if we look at them in the right way, we'll see that God is using us. So, brothers and sisters, we're in your life, in our lower stories, your lower story, might God be at work right here and right now? When you, when you go out of here today, we're going to give you a little index card. Uh, it says, what's your story? And I want to challenge you to take it home and think and pray about it uh, and to identify just one snapshot of your picture of your story in which God has been at work in your life and your life has overlapped with God's big picture. And I want you to just write that down, right? And, and this is for you and to begin to help us to understand where God is at work in our lives. If you need more space than just the index card that we give you, it'll have information on how to go to our website, and you can type it all out on there. What I'd really like to invite you to think and pray about is, is coming back next week and bringing that card with you or entering it online and sharing one of your stories with us. And I and the staff will read these. We want to begin to to keep a database of God's activity in our lives so that we can share the good news about how Jesus is real and how he's working in everyday people's lives. And I want to share some of these as we teach from the story. We want to share them with our community to say that God is alive and well in the 21st century in South Park. And these are some exciting ways that we can see God at work. But the biggest thing is to help you begin to see God at work in your life. Well, what does that look like, Pastor Kyle? Right? I get it. I read it in the Bible, but you know, God hasn't shown up to me like he did to Abraham and, and, and have a conversation and say something as clear as he said to Abraham and to Sarah. You know, what does that look like in our life? So let's think about what that might look like in our lives, just with a couple stories from, from my experience. I share with you last week that uh, my son Luke, who's 10 years old, he's in the fourth grade, just got his report card, you know, for the, the, the most recent grading period. And uh, he said that one of his classmates came back the next day and he was really upset and he was tired because he didn't have a good report card. He took it home. His dad kept him up all night and he was just telling him uh, all night how disappointed he was because that he's an utter failure. You're telling a 10-year-old boy, you're an utter failure and just how that dejected this young man. And, and so Laura and I have been working with Luke to say, you know what, that's not true. And I, we believe that God has given you the opportunity to, to help him understand that he's not a failure. To say, you know what, you had some bad grades, that doesn't define who you are. You know, say that God loves you and God has plans for your life that we want to help Luke understand that he can be a friend to his friend and that God can use his lower story to help this boy plug into God's upper story. Right, and so, so our children are doing the same study. And so this past week, Luke came to me and he, it was still heavy on his heart. He's like, Dad, I believe that Jesus is calling me to help my friend. 
I said, well, how do, how do, you, how do you believe that? What, what does that look like? He said, I don't know. Can you help me figure it out? So we began to talk about it. And we began to talk about how he can encourage him with words at school, how he can you know, befriend him at school. We're going to invite him to come over and have a play date at our house and just use this opportunity to build him up, right? And so what's cool is to see my 10-year-old son beginning to, to use the terms and think in terms of my lower story as part of God's bigger story, right? That God can use me to help my friend, right? That's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Right? You don't have to be a, an evangelist like Billy Graham. You don't have to have a seminary degree. It's God at work in our everyday lives. If God can do it for my 10-year-old son, God can do it for you. And so where do you see God at work in your story? Yesterday, um, Laura and I, we love Saturday mornings because our boys are playing basketball and they're playing in this upward Christian league. And so we go at 9.30 for Nathan's game. Uh, he's five. And then at 10.30 is Luke's game. Again, he's 10 years old. And so we go, we have basketball, we have a lot of fun. And you know, this past Saturday, Nathan scored his first goal. So we're all celebrating and it was awesome. And we're super excited. Luke had a really good game. And, uh, and so I'm texting like a video of Nathan scoring his first basket to all the grandparents, you know, they're loving that. And they're writing back, we wish we were there and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, my dad sends back this text and he's like, you know, you guys take them out to eat to celebrate and send me the bill. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And uh, so after the basketball games, I was like, hey guys, you know, uh, Papa wants us to go out and celebrate. You know, where do you guys want to go? And and they're like, well, you know, they always have this same tradition after basketball every Saturday that we thought they'd want to break because they could pick any restaurant that they want to. But no, we want to keep doing what we do and what they like to do is go to the QT, right? It's the gas station convenience store, right? We want to go to QT. Like, really? Yeah, we want to go to the QT. Oh, okay, we'll go to the QT. So uh, we drive over to the QT and, you know, we, we load up on junk food. Like Laura goes to, you know, or like this deli sandwich because she's real healthy that way. And, and then the boys and I, we get cheer wine slushes and, uh, and we get hot dogs and we get egg rolls, you know. And so we just, we come out with all this junk food and we get back into the car and we're all pigging out in, in, the, in, the, in the car there. And, uh, and about that time, Laura says, are you going to go ask that man if he likes something to eat? And I'm like, what man? Uh, and she noticed that there's a homeless guy and there's like a picnic table out in front of the QT and he'd ridden his bike up there, an older guy. I'm not sure how he rode his bike there, but he's there. He's all bundled up. You know, there's still some snow around and it's still warming up, but he's definitely homeless. And, uh, you know, I'm just sitting over there. I've got a hot dog. It's got cheese and jalapenos built into it. And I'm just over there eating my, you know, jalapeno cheese hot dog in my own little selfish little world. And, uh, and my wife, right, she sees the invisible. And she's like, are you going to go ask him if he wants something to eat? I'm like, well, I guess I am now. You know, and so, uh, so uh, I, I go out, you know, and, you, you know, you got to be careful. People have pride and all that sort of thing. So I'm just like, Lord, you know, help me with this, 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 this situation. And I said, excuse me, sir, can, can I buy you something to eat? He's like, absolutely. I said, well, what would you like? He's like, I'd, you know, I'd like some pizza and a Coke. I'm like, really? That's all you want? He's like, yeah, well, some pizza and a Coke. I'm like, all right, I'll be right back. So I went in, and they get, sell pizza by the slice. I got a bunch of pizza slices. I got him a couple of Cokes, put it in the bag, and came back and gave it to him. And I shook his hand, like, God bless you, man. You know, it's, it's nice to see you. And in the meantime, Luke comes out. He's got a pack of cookies left over from his snack from basketball, hands it to the guy. And uh, you thought we'd give him a million dollars, right? We didn't solve his long-term problems or whatever. It doesn't, you know, I don't know where he's going to spend the night that night. I don't know if he needs medical care or whatever. We gave him a meal because my wife saw something that was invisible to me, 
right? And I'm no saint, right? It's all, it's all on her for seeing that, and it's all cool, right? But what was neat was the intersection of the lower story with the upper story. Right? From the lower story, it's this homeless man, this invisible person that we all want to sweep under the rug, right? But to my wife, that's a child of God. And she said, are you going to go and ask him if he wants something to eat? So, so his lower story is that he's invisible, but no longer, right? For a moment, Someone saw him and said, God loves you, and here's something to eat. Didn't solve any long-term problems, but for one moment, there's an intersection between the lower story and the upper story. I believe that you all have tons of stories like that. I believe that God is at work in your life. I believe that God is doing extraordinary things through you, like me, ordinary people. And the good news is we get a whole year to look at this. And we get to dive in and we get to be extraordinary with God. And so I just invite you to think and pray and take the card home, right? What's your story? Where does your lower story intersect with God's upper story? I can't wait for you to discover that for yourself. And I can't wait for for you to turn those in and let us share some of these experiences because that's the point of the story. God wants to do life together with us. So brothers and sisters, God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. So be extraordinary. And this week specifically, just recognize where God's lower story is using our lower story to be a part of his story. I can't wait to hear what God is doing in your midst. Be extraordinary with Jesus. Amen.